James chapter number five. And we are coming to the conclusion of our study in the book of James. And I haven't really decided where I'm going to go next. I think I know, but I'm not exactly for sure. So we're approaching the conclusion. And I think it's always interesting to consider the closing remarks. Uh, you know, when you think about a trial, uh, a lawyer's going to have his closing remarks and, and he's going to sum up his case and try to make a powerful point to convince the jury that his side should be the side that they vote for. And so you know there's always something important that, um, that a lawyer wants to stress, but in this case, this writing letters, there's, there's these summary concluding points. And just think about, well, well, what's James writing about as he closes up this letter? And to me, I think the subject of what he's writing about is important to him. And he's going to address the subject of prayer. So, so we remember that James is writing from James chapter number one. He's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. And he's encouraging them. And now he's encouraging them to pray in faith. And as I was considering this message, I, I thought, why is it so important that James is praying or telling them, teaching them to pray in faith. And if you remember the beginning of the book, back in chapter number one, he began with, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall in divers temptations. And one of the things that we have kept in front of us as we have went through this lesson is the fact that these scattered Christians are facing persecution. They're facing divers' temptations. They're facing tribulations. And so because they are facing these things, it's going to be necessary to pray in faith. And so I think it's in, important for us to remember. And I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see that, that James has kind of bookended this letter. He's bookended it by, by, in the beginning by saying, I know you're going through these diverse temptations. I, I, I know you're facing these difficulties. You're scattered. You're persecuted. I know that. And then he spends the book talking about that and talking about faith and the evidence of faith. And then he kind of, the other end, he books in with the benefit of praying and faith. So you're facing diverse temptations, but I want you to see the benefit of praying in faith. Really, we need to, uh, this is one singular thought from James 5, 13 through 20. And there's, there's too much, there's not enough for two messages and there's too much for one message, but I'm gonna split it in two. So we're just gonna read down um, through verse 15. But really, the conclusion is all one singular thought. James 5, 13 says this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So I want us to just think about James and him introducing this, uh, this, this lesson, so to speak, on, on uh, the prayer of faith. And he kind of uh, talks about, is any? And he says, is any three different times? And so that's the way we're going to break down this first point when he's talking about the prayer of faith and, and when to pray. And the first thing he says, is any among you afflicted? And so here we, we recognize, he says, is any among you? And, and here James is alluding to a gathering. And so we know that these scattered Christians, they're not just free agents going out wherever they want to. They're not just freelancing. We know that even though they are scattered, they are still gathering together. That's what Christians have always done. They have always gathered together. That's what Christ instituted in Matthew 16. I'll build my church in the gates of hell. I'll build my assembly and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It is the practice of followers of Jesus to assemble together. You do not have followers of Jesus who are freelancers. They don't go it alone. Followers of Jesus always assemble together. It's one of the lies of Satan today to teach that, oh, you can, be, you can be a follower of Jesus wherever you want to. No, it's always been the practice of followers of Jesus to assemble together. And here you see it. James is alluding to the fact that they are assembling together. Is there any among you? And so we understand the importance. And, and, and we want to always see the importance of assembling together. And we are missing out if we miss out on any of the assemblies of the church. Is any of you afflicted? And so we think about that word afflicted. That word afflicted means to endure hardship. And so is there any among you that are enduring hardship? Vincent says in his word studies that a kindred word to afflicted here is the word suffering. And so is, is there any of you among those that are scattered among the 12 uh, tribes as you are out there, are you afflicted? Is there a, any among you that are enduring hardships? Is there any among you that are suffering? And we know they are, right? Because they're persecuted. Because they're facing diverse temptations. Because they're facing tribulations. That's been the subject that James has talked about. And so we know there's going to be those who are afflicted. And we also want to understand. Aren't afflictions a part of being a follower of Jesus? Hasn't that been the history of the followers of Jesus? I mean, they, they crucified our leader. Persecution has followed those who are followers of Jesus. Yea, and all they that live godly shall suffer persecutions. And so 
It, it, it's, it's not amazing that someone is afflicted. It's not amazing that someone as a follower of Jesus is suffering hardship. It, it, it's, it comes with the territory. And there's lots of reasons for that. We don't, we don't have time to get into that tonight. But, but we just should understand it. It should not be surprising if you suffer affliction as a follower of Jesus. And so James is saying, is there any among you that are afflicted? Let him pray. This is an imperative here. It, pray. An imperative is, is what you should do. And so he says, pray. And really, shouldn't that be understood of us as followers of Jesus? That if we are facing a hardship, that we ought to go to our Heavenly Father? If we are suffering, that the first place we ought to, to look is to heaven that should be the default response of one who is following Jesus. If we suffer any kind of hardship, pray. You know, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's no details here. James doesn't go into a long list of how to pray. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, and Jesus then gave them the model prayer uh, James doesn't go into anything like that. He just says prayer. And, and it's obvious that prayer has been a part of their life. And prayer is a part of their history. And so they know what James means when he says prayer, pray. But you know, we as followers of Jesus should consider our own prayer life. What is your prayer life like? How do you pray? When do you pray? How often do you pray? Is your prayer only to God as a genie in the bottle? Or is your prayer, does your prayer contain thanksgiving and adoration? And does your prayer con, uh, involve confession of sin? Just our prayer life as followers of Jesus is something that we should consider because that is something that Christians do. Christians pray. Christians talk to God. And so we ought to think about our prayer life. So I, I, I thought about this also. So, so is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. So, so what should be the manner of his prayer? Should the one that is afflicted, should he pray that the afflictions would be removed? And I think that's the most natural thing for us, right? The most natural thing for us is... God, I'm suffering and I want not to suffer anymore. I mean, none of us likes to suffer, do we? And so, I mean, it, the, the natural thing for us to do would be for God to pray that God would remove that affliction, that suffering. But what do we know about those who have been God's people throughout the Scripture? God has chosen many times to utilize the suffering that they experience to mature them spiritually. We know that God has chosen to use the suffering of his people to advance his people. And so, maybe when we pray, we shouldn't always pray. I mean, the natural thing for us to do is to pray that they would be removed. 
But we know from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, where he says that you pray that to make a way of escape, that we might be able to bear it. And so our prayer could, could be that, Lord, I'm experiencing this affliction, and so I pray that you will give me the grace and the strength to be able to bear this burden that you've chosen to allow me to experience. Or maybe our prayer should be, Lord, I don't know why you've chosen for me to experience this affliction, but I know it's for my good. So help me to grow. Help me to learn what you're doing in my life because of this affliction. See, affliction is good for us. And so, I mean, again, it's natural for us to pray that affliction would be removed, but they are beneficial. And so maybe we shouldn't be praying always that those afflictions would be removed. But James says, is any among you afflicted, let him pray. And then he says, is any... Mary. Is any Mary? And, and Mary here means cheerful. I mean, it's pretty simple. And you'll notice the spectrum of, of emotions here. You have afflicted and cheerful. You might have, you know, the negative and the positive. And I would say that if we would all consider our lives that we are all somewhere on that spectrum of being burdened down and being cheerful. Probably none of us are Eeyore all the time. And none of us are super happy all the time. I, I, somebody was talking yesterday, and I don't know who it was, but they were talking about somebody, and it was like, they were happy all the time, and you, 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 you almost wondered if it was real or not. And I don't remember where that was coming from. Kimberly's uncle that just passed away, Larry Elliott. That's the way he was. Man, he was happy all the time. He had a smile on his face all the time, and he was all the time, how you doing, brother, and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, he was always like that, and it was like, Larry, you can't be like that all the time. But Larry was. Larry was always like that. But all of us are on that spectrum sometimes, somewhere. We're either burdened down or we're merry, and we're somewhere in between, somewhere on that spectrum. But what should you do if you're merry, if you're cheerful? Notice it says, let him sing psalms. The interesting thing about that is that sentence, let him sing psalms, is one word in the Greek language, solo, P-S-A-L-L-O. And I bring that up because, you know, one of the things that I always felt like and I always thought was, Hey, the, the King James Bible is a word-for-word -word translation. But it's not. It's not word-for-word. -word. Solo is one word. Let him sing psalms is four words. So it took four words in the English language to say what the Greek language says in one word. That's the, and again, I bring this up all the time to you, but... That's why the English language is so difficult. In, in foreign languages, every foreign language just about besides English, um, your, your tense and your person is determined by a prefix or a suffix. 
And so you just have one word like, I am going. It would be one word um, in foreign languages. And so it's not exactly a word-for-word -word translation. It is the one word. I mean, it says the same thing, but it's not, there's not the same amount of words in the Greek New Testament as there is in the English New Testament. There's far more words in the English New Testament than there is in the Greek New Testament. My point. I, I just thought that was interesting as I was studying that. But what does solo, solo mean? This, this word solo means to twitch or twang on the strings. Originally, it meant to twang a chord as on a harp and to sing praise to God, whether with instrument or without. It's the only place that particular word in that uh, is used in the New Testament. And so, if you're Mary, what should you do? Sing praises to God. That's what it says. It, it's, it's the same thing that Paul teaches in Ephesians 5.19, where he says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It's, again, it's, as you're assembled together, sing psalms. It's, sing and make melody in your hearts unto the Lord. And that's why we ought to sing. Singing is important. Singing helps you make melody in your heart. And I, and I think that singing would move you from melancholy to cheerful. As a matter of fact, I, I, I looked up, and this came from Opera North, which I think is in England. Ten reasons to sing. Number one, it makes you feel better. When you sing, you release endorphins into your system. And, it, and those are the, what they're called. They're called feel-good uh, hormones and they just make you feel better. Your body just is like laughter. You know, laughter is the best medicine, and, and it's because it releases those endorphins. and And you can't be sorrowful and laugh. I mean, it just it just can't happen. So so singing makes you feel better. Singing increases lung and fun, in fun, lung function. Singing helps beat stress and helps you relax. Singing helps memory. Singing builds a sense of community. Huh. wonder why Paul says sing. Because it builds a sense of community. Singing lets you express yourself. Singing can help with pain relief. Singing boosts your confidence. Singing has been featured in well-being studies. In other words, they've studied the well-being of people. And it's like the people who sing are better off than people who refuse to sing. And singing is for everyone. Everyone can, everyone can sing. Not everybody can sing well, but everybody can sing. So it's something that we all can do. And listen, that's from a secular, that's from a worldly perspective. But singing is beneficial. And so it shouldn't surprise us that in our worship of God, that we have the most to sing about. And he says to sing. And again, it's stressing the importance of an assembly. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. As you're gathered together, one of the things, you ought to sing together. Lift praises to the Lord. And, and many of the songs that we sing are, are and they, they really all should be, they should be all be doctrinal. They should teach us about God and they should stir our hearts to love God more. But they're beneficial for us. And so that's why it says if you're, 
If you're as any Mary, let him sing psalms. And really singing is a type of prayer. So, so here we think about the importance of singing. Singing moves us from the feeling of being afflicted to merriment or cheerfulness. The singing increase your cheerfulness in your life? And do you take the opportunity to sing when you have the opportunity to sing? And do you realize what you're missing out on if you choose not to sing? Really, as a follower of Jesus, it should, you, you should want to sing. It's going to move you from melancholy to cheerful. Is any of you Afflicted, pray. Is any Mary, sing. Is any among you, is any sick among you? So let him call for the elders of church and let them pray over him. So is any sick. Sickness here is feeble or ill or to be weak without strength. And again, is sickness going to be a part of an assembly? Sure it is, right? I mean, sickness is going to be a part of a family. Every one of us at some point in our life is going to be sick. There's going to be a time when uh, we are just not strong. It's part of our nature. We're born to die. From the moment that we are born, we begin the process of dying. And, and think about these that James is writing to. Are they afflicted? Yes. Are they persecuted? Yes. Is their body going to be made weaker by their afflictions? Yes. Could the end result of those afflictions be sickness? Yes. And so it's not surprising that James mentions sickness. But also we remember that sickness could come from Satan. If you are reading along in the chronological Bible with us, you, if you're caught up, you have been reading in the book of Job. And most of you probably know the story of Job and how that God told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he got, gave God, or God gave Satan the ability to Afflict Job with sickness. He had those boils. And so sickness could come from Satan. It could be the affliction of Satan upon your body. Satan could be trying to destroy you through sickness. So we, so, I mean, sometimes we, we need to realize that. That, that. that the same power that Satan had to afflict Job... And he still has that same power today. God has given him that power. And, and God could be trying to defeat, or not God, Satan could be trying to defeat God's people through using the sickness of the body to pull them down, to cause them to have a bad attitude, to cause them to uh, point their finger at God. There's, there's all kinds of ways that Satan could use sickness to get the victory in a Christian's life. And so we need to understand that. That sickness, sometimes it may be from Satan. 
So what should we do if we're sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. One thing I, I want you to notice, notice the elders, plural, and the church, singular. So it was common practice in the first century for a local assembly to have multiple elders, multiple leaders, multiple men who were responsible for the teaching and the pastoring and the shepherding of the flock. And here, earlier we said the church was implied, but here the church is not implied. It's plainly stated. There's an assembly together. And what should you do if you're sick? You should call the elders of the assembly together. This is not an imperative. This is an, it's not a requirement. But I want you to think about that. If the prayer of faith will heal the sick, save the sick, what should you want to do if you get sick? You should want to call the elders of the church to come together to pray over you. If the prayer of, of faith saves the sick, why would you not call the elders of the church? One of the things that's happened to us because of modern medicine is because we have forgotten the power of prayer to heal. We have dependent, begun to depend upon, the first thing we got to do is call the doctor. You know, the doctor only has the power that God gives them. The first place that we ought to stop is to pray and call the elders of the church to pray. And notice calling the elders of the church together to pray over them is understanding the power of corporate prayer. That when God's people gather together in his assembly as he has assigned it, there is power in that prayer. And we should recognize that. Again, that's one of the things that we have forgotten. And when you think about this process that James outlines here for the elders to get together and to anoint with oil the person who is sick and to pray over them, that is a process which should and could be performed in the church. Now there's a lot of discussion about the anointing of oil. What does that mean? And we know that um, the anointing of oil was medication in that time. Olive oil was uh, the primary medication. You know that uh, when the I was trying to think of this a while ago, and I just, it, it just slipped my mind. <sighs> What's the story where the guy laying by the street? Good Samaritan, there you go. Could not think of it. And the story of the Good Samaritan. What did they do? Luke 10, 34. And went to him, the Good Samaritan went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So that pouring in of the oil and the wine was using the medication that they had during that day to heal the wounds of the, the, the one who had been left for dead on the side of the street. Robertson in his word picture says this about the use of olive oil. The use of olive oil was one of the best remedial agencies known to the ancients. They used it internally and externally. Some physicians prescribe it today. As a matter of fact, you ought to take in a some olive oil every day. It's beneficial for your health. 
And here the true medicinal value is attached to the use of the oil and emphasis is placed on the worth of prayer. And so, so he's saying, here's what he's saying. I mean, we can use anointing oil. Normally we don't because to me it's the use of medication, but you can. But if someone's sick, you ought to call together the elders of the church. You ought to gather together. You ought to pray for them and then go to the doctor. Use the medicine that you have available to you and go to the doctor. Call on the name of the Lord, it says. That should be the process. Call on the name of the Lord. So you call the elders of the church, you pray, you call on the name of the Lord, and you expect God to do the healing. And then he goes on and he says, I want to talk about the prayer of faith here really quick. Notice it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The, the word save there is the word sozo, which means to deliver, to deliver or to make well. Vines in his expository dictionary says of material and temporal deliverance, of spiritual and internal. So this is the way sozo is used. It's used of material and temporal deliverance. It's used of spiritual and internal salvation granted immediately by God to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It means of the present experiences of God's power to deliver from the bondage of sin. To save is used of the future deliverance of the believers at the second coming of his saints. There's, there's lots of ways that that word save is used. But here it means the deliverance from being sick. To make well. And the prayer of faith will make one well. And we want to understand that the prayer of faith is the key. You cannot divorce deliverance from the prayer of faith. You can't divorce to being made well away from the prayer of faith. Notice it says, and the Lord shall raise him up. Listen, if there's any raising up that's going to happen, it's going to come from the Lord. There, is, there are really no marvels of modern medicine. God's the one that heals now, he utilizes the marvels of modern medicine, but it, sometimes it doesn't matter. The doctors can do all they can do, and they can use the best of everything they got. But sometimes it's not going to be successful, right? Because God is the one who grants the healing. Let's never forget that. Healing comes from God. Again, the, the means that he might use to bring about the healing might be modern medicine, but God is the one that says what modern medicine utilizes, whether it's going to be successful or not. And then I want you to notice, if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now you might wonder why that goes here, and that'll be the topic next week. But sometimes affliction and sickness are because of sin. Not always. Because we know it's natural for us to die. It's natural for our, our bodies to die. But sometimes sickness is because of sin. And that's why it's mentioned here. Remember 1 Corinthians 11.30 where Paul told the Corinthians, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many, many sleep. God had allowed sickness to enter the church at Corinth because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. And many of them were sick. And some of them even died because of their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Listen, if you think it's not serious the way that the Lord's Supper is observed, <laughs> you've got another thing coming. 
But sometimes, just not to get into that too much tonight, sometimes sickness comes because of sin. And we'll talk about that next time. So Jesus here talks about that broad spectrum in which, in, in which one might find themselves. They might find themselves afflicted or they might find themselves merry. And what should they do? Well, you can pray or you should sing psalms. No matter where you're at, all of us are on that spectrum somewhere. And so James is stressing that the walk of faith should be steadfast no matter the circumstances in which one finds himself. You trust in the name of the Lord. Whether you're afflicted or whether you're cheerful, trust the Lord. Go to the Lord. Depend upon the Lord. Your strength my help is in the Lord. I'll look unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help is in the Lord. Never forget that. And, and James is trying to encourage them to keep that in mind as they continue on. So it's a good lesson for us to think about today. And with that, we'll close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this night, the opportunity we had to learn from your word. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.